Coming up in this debut episode of Our Rats Latest, David Cosgriff joins me to explain the effort our local firefighters have been putting in in the east of our state. We find out what's happening in Ararat this Australia Day, and Ararat College student Billy Williams explains her holiday from hell at Malakuta. You're listening to Ararat's Latest with local journalist Jack Ward. Hello and welcome. It's great to be with you. The first episode of Ararat's Latest and this little project, it's been in the pipeline for a while now. So it's fantastic to be able to share it with you finally and a new platform for covering local news. We're used to the news articles, the newspaper. So I'm excited to see how podcasting can further telling local stories because that's what this is all about, sharing local stories, local news. And there's lots coming up in today's podcast, which I'll tell you in just a moment. But first, I just want to reflect because a few years back, I actually did a bit of a radio show, very unprofessional, broke many copyright laws, I think. Um, But it is great to be back behind a mic and without a camera because for the past three years, I've been in front of a camera. So it's nice not to have to do my hair today. But we've got lots coming up today. I I speak with a local teen who has recently had a holiday from hell And a local firefighter joins me after completing three deployments to fire-affected areas. We also find out what's happening in Ararat this Australia Day. And also, a famous dancing star has visited town for some dancing workshops. It's a very interesting story coming up. And Wycliffe has farewelled a local student who has departed Taiwan for an exchange program. Ararat College Year 12 student Billy Lee Williams travelled recently to Malakuta with her family to revisit a popular holiday destination for from her younger years. This, this time, things were much different. The holiday took a turn for the worst when Australia's bushfire crisis arrived on their doorstep. Billy joins me now. Billy, how are you? Not bad. Not bad. You've had a quite the holiday, that's for sure. How, have you, how would you describe your summer holiday so far? Um, it was very eventful, a bit scary. For those who don't know, you were in Malakuta as the flames and you were smoke and that was surrounding the community. When did you first realise you were in trouble? Um, I'm pretty sure the date was the 30th of December and the smoke got really, really thick um, and it was coming down really low to like where we were and everything. And then, yeah, we got told we had to evacuate because there was fires near us and no one was actually sure where they were. So we had to move now before it was too late. And when they told you to evacuate, where did they tell you to evacuate to? Um, so there was a caravan park down near the foreshore. Um, so that was the safest place in the town to go because it was too late to evacuate the town. Um, so we all got evacuated down to the, down by the water. And once you got down to the down to the water and you're all there down near the pier and the fire's getting closer, what was everyone doing? Were they panicking? Yeah, there was a lot of people panicking and then there was a lot of people trying to calm everyone down. But, yeah. How were you feeling? Well, I was scared, um, but I was trying not to panic too much because I didn't want to work myself up and make the situation worse than what it was. And we've all seen those pictures of Malakuta. It's pitch black in the middle of the day. What was it like yeah. there? What was going through your head when that happened? Because the pictures have gone around the world. People have been amazed by them. Um, I was very scared. I was confused as to why it's like the middle of the day and it's pitch black like it's midnight. I was confused whether the fire was getting closer or the fire had changed direction or what was going on. And 
no one really actually knew like the firefighters and the police and everyone were trying their best to like tell us what was going on but even they didn't know at the time and with all that all that happening and then you had to try and sleep through it how hard was that oh it was very difficult to try and get to sleep um not knowing if the fire was going to come in the middle of the night or when it was going to come and then struggling to breathe because you know, the smoke's really, really thick and then having asthma as well make it more difficult. And the ash, you, you told me that the ash was falling from the sky. Yeah, um, so it wasn't falling when we went to sleep, but then, like, woke up in the middle of the night and there was ash all over us and then managed to get back to sleep and then woke up with, in the morning with even more ash all over us and everywhere. And when you woke up, the fire hadn't reached yet, but it wasn't too far away, was it? Yeah, so the fire wasn't exactly at the town but it wasn't far so we were getting prepared to like face the worst yeah it reached the town it reached the outskirts of the town could you see things burning um yeah so first we could just see like the red glow of everything getting brighter and like closer to us and then not long after that yeah we saw the flames of getting houses and heard gas bottles exploding or trees on fire. And once the fire threat had eased and luckily the wind changed direction, I believe you had a chance to drive around the town. What did you see? Um, so, yeah, we went around town um, and then saw a lot of houses burnt down. Um, a lot of trees just dropping out of nowhere. Some trees still on fire, but not too bad where, like, they were going to spread again. But then there was a lot of houses that were on fire and then, like, their next-door neighbours were fine, so it was so sad. And, and the community there must have been devastated. Yeah, they were really sad. Like, the locals were, like, devastated. They were all crying, all trying to hug each other and, like, support each other and everything. What was it like watching that? Oh, it was real sad. Yeah. Um, had a cry about it, actually, because, yeah. Understandably, because this is this was just your holiday, but you're seeing people who are actually living there going through this as well. Yeah. And once the once you'd had a look around town, I guess the next point of call for you then was how are you going to get out? Because the one road in and out was closed. So what was the process then like? At first, they had told us there was a the navy ship that was coming, and there was the helicopter or plane that was coming, but. At first, they told us that was only for elderly people, the vulnerable, and little babies. We had thought that we were going to be stuck there until the roads had opened. And at first, we got told it was going to be at least two weeks. And then there was a community meeting, and we had sent for that. And they had told us that now, if you wanted to evacuate, you could go on the Navy ship. Um, so we had all registered, my whole family. So my nan, me, my cousin, her mum and dad and her friend. And we all registered and my pop had decided that he wanted to stay and help as best he could. And your pop there, he's not a local, is he? No, he wasn't. He's just wanted, He was on holidays and he just wanted to stay and help them. Yeah, he did, yeah. What a great man. And so you, once you got onto the ship, um, what was it like on there? At first it was scary because, like, I'd never been on a ship before, Um but at the same time, it was like a relief because finally out of the place. Your grandpa stayed there. Is he back home and safe now? Yeah, he is. So he came back, I think, just over a week after we did. 
because they had updated him and said that the roads were going to be open for at least um, another four to six weeks. Well, thanks so much, Billy, for joining me. That's okay. What a story there from Billy and just one of thousands, even millions of recounts that people who have been affected by this crisis, both in these towns directly by smoke, there's so many issues. Now, many local organisations have been doing their part to support communities in the east, as well as individuals who have been donating to charities. Georgia Heather and Brodie Hunter have been heartbroken by the current fire crisis gripping Australia, a feeling shared across the country. So the locals decided to help those in need, launching the BNG Fire Relief Facebook page. They got in contact with the Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund and asked locals here in Ararat to donate water, toiletries, emergency supplies and food. On Saturday, the duo, along with Chris and Sarah Day, travelled to Bansdale to deliver the goods. Georgia joins me now. Georgia, how did the trip go? Uh, yeah, it went really good. Uh, it was definitely a long drive, but I reckon it was not worth it. Um, so we left at 7am Saturday morning and then we got to Bansdale at about uh, 2 o'clock, I think. Yeah, 2 o'clock. And what was the reaction from locals when you arrived with the goods? Um, so it was actually really funny because the people that we were delivering to, they were under the impression that we were only delivering a couple of boxes. Um, so it was pretty funny that we, when we rocked up with two ute loads and two tandem trailers full of donations, they were pretty stunned. So it was pretty funny to see. Yeah, and where, the, those donations have arrived there now. Do they get distributed out to locals? Um, yeah, so the lady that we donated them to, she has been working uh, with the Rotary Band Sale Club um, and they have been um, packing them up into sort of like care packages. So each box um, was left as a dignity pack. So it had probably all your necessities like um, soap, shampoo, conditioner, razors and stuff like that. And she was just dropping them off to families as they needed. Mm. And what was the mood like in Bansdale? Was there lots of support? Um, yeah, actually, there was a lot of, uh, we saw a lot of soldiers going around from the Defence Force that were helping uh, the locals. We went into, um, they had the Gippsland Fire Relief set up in an old warehouse and there was lots of little old men and men and ladies that were um, just sorting through all the donations and were just donating all their time and volunteering and it was really good to see. So much, so much happening across the country. Well, Georgia, thank you so yeah. much for your, and, and you and Brody and your efforts here in Ararat. It's just brilliant. No, no worries, Jack. No worries. Thanks for joining me. Local fire brigades have had numerous members leave their lives here to help save lives in the east of the state. Numerous District 16 strike teams have been volunteering their time. Moiston Fire Brigade member David Cosgriff has done just that, and I spoke to him this week. David, thank you for joining me. No worries, Jack. I want to begin by asking you, what strike teams have you been a part of in the past few weeks? This fire season, uh, I've been on three strike teams. The first one was in uh, late November. Took a strike team from uh, the Horsham, Stall, Beaufort sort of area, arid area, up to um, Armidale in New South Wales to give a hand with the New South Wales RFS up there. Uh, that was uh, three days work at Armidale, which is about an hour and a half, oh sorry, two and a half hours west of Coffs Harbour. Uh, then last weekend, it was a strike team down at Orbost for a couple of days and I got back yesterday from uh, a few days up at uh, Talangata near Albury Wodonga. What conditions and fire activity have you been facing during the, those deployments? All three strike teams have been very, very lucky. The fire behaviour has been very benign. We've been involved mainly with backburning and control and operations rather than hitting the active fire. So all of the aggressive fire behaviour we've seen on the news, thankfully I haven't actually had to put up with any of that. 
So we'd be mainly doing backburning operations, containment lines um, in front of the fire front, or well in front, uh, as a, a measure to keep the fire within an area where it can be controlled. While you've been in these areas, you've been working alongside the local firefighters from the areas affected. How are they doing? Uh, they're very tough. They're uh, very tired. They've been working long, um, long days, long shifts, but over an extended period of time. When we're in uh, New South Wales, we were there for a week and we're operating with uh, RFS firefighters that have been doing the same work for more than a month. So they're very appreciative of the help that they get from other areas, other states, uh, just to give them a chance to have a rest because they're going through a hell of a time. What does it mean to you personally being able to head over to the east and support those affected by the fires? You get or you get a personal sense of satisfaction that you're able to go and help somebody else. Uh, you, we've had fires up here and we've had firefighters from New South Wales, from all over Victoria, South Australia, that have come uh, over this way to help out with the fires, the Mount Lubra fires in 06, the Moiston fires in 15, and some other fires we've had around. And to be able to go and either repay someone for them coming over to help us, or we're getting in credit. So when um, if the unfortunate does happen and we get hit by fires again, they're more likely to come over and help us because we've gone and helped them. So you get that personal sense of satisfaction, but um, it's, it's also with the knowledge that uh, people will come and help you if you need the help as well. Mm. And we've had firefighters sadly lose their lives in these fires. Yeah. Um, it must be especially hard for you as a firefighter as well who are on the ground there to see and hear this news. Even when you're not on the fire ground and you're at home and your family know that you're a firefighter and you've been doing some deployments and you hear about a firefighter getting killed, you can't help but think, what if? You know, what are the chances? And there's always the chance there, unfortunately, uh, we have had uh, firefighters from this area, from the Arad area, that were on crews or with crews near where firefighters have been killed. Um, I haven't spoken to them directly about how it's affected them, but um, I can imagine it, it would affect them pretty badly. Um, going to a fire is risky. We all know that. It's risk management. It's risk minimisation. And you just got to be aware and trust in your, your other firefighters that they're keeping an eye on you as much as you're keeping an eye on them. Why do you think that this fire season is so severe? Because it's we haven't seen one like this for a long time. Up in New South Wales, I think it's a lot to do with the drought. Um, it's incredibly dry up there. How the fires started exactly, I'm not sure. But once it starts, uh, with everything just so dry, it's just incredibly hard to stop, particularly once it gets into bushland. It depends a lot on where it is. Um, there were lightning strides that caused a lot of the ones over east. And just in that area there, just the mountainous areas, it's just the dry fuel load. You just you go through some dry years, no rain, everything's uh, there's no moisture in the fuel. It's just more likely to burn. What the cause of that? People say climate change and all that sort of thing, and that's probably got a lot to do with it. You hear a lot of people saying in the Alps it's to do with uh, cattle not being allowed to um, go up into the high country anymore, and they used to keep the fuel load down by eating a lot of it and mm. and that sort of thing. Whether that's got something to do with it, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Do you have a story? Are you or someone you know holding a community event? I want to know what you know about local issues and upcoming events. Contact Arats Latest via Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or email arratslatest at gmail.com. Your story may instigate a community discussion, help a local organisation and importantly, keep locals informed.
Moving away from the fire crisis now, and Australia Day is coming up this Sunday with the public holiday on the Monday. Our Rural City Council has organised an official ceremony on Sunday morning with celebrations at local swimming pools in the afternoon. Our Rural City Council CEO, Dr Tim Harrison, joins me now. Dr Harrison, what events will be occurring this Sunday in our app? Yeah, uh, this Sunday we've got Australia Day, of course. Very exciting day for the community. Uh, and we'll be commencing at 9 o'clock in the morning with a with a breakfast, free breakfast for the community if they want to come along for that. Then at 10 o'clock we'll be having our Australia Day um, formal ceremony where we'll be awarding the um, the Australia Day um, Awards, which is the Arid Ambassador, the Multicultural Harmony, Community Spirit and Inspiring Healthy Living Awards. Um, and we'll also be hearing from our Australia Day Ambassador and also, um, if there are any citizenship awards required, we'll be doing those as well. And I, I see Council has been asking for nominations for these awards. What's the response been like? Yeah, look, we've had a fairly good response, but we can never have enough nominations because a lot of people out there in the community are doing some wonderful work, as you know, Jack. And um, it would be really good to have some awards, particularly from those unsung heroes, the people who do a lot of work behind the scenes. It'd be great to get nominations from them into the future. That'd be really good. Pretty good response. Yeah, good. And how important is it to, I guess, recognise these people within our community? I think it's critically important, Jack, because I guess a lot of people spend a lot of voluntary time doing things for others, trying to make a community a better place, working towards a more inclusive hour. There's a whole lot of things people are doing, and it's a really great opportunity to recognise those big efforts people are putting in. And sometimes, you know, I think we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. And it's really good to take the opportunity just to just draw out some people and recognise them for the great work they do. And with those nominations, how is uh, the recipients of the awards picked from those? Is there a panel or something like that? Yeah, there'll, there'll be a selection panel. The mayor and myself are on it with a couple of community people, and we'll be we'll be making the selection for those award winners. Yeah. And apart from the official ceremony, I believe there's some things happening at our local swimming pools. There are indeed, yeah. There's some pool parties at our outdoor Olympics pool in Ararat and also at the Wallora and Lake Bolac pools as well, starting uh, in the early afternoon. So they'll be kicking off basically, I think, after the after the awards ceremony and so forth, where we have the pool parties kicking off. And there'll be some other activity in the Alexandra Gardens as well. Really? So there's a lot of activity. We'd like to thank uh, Central Grampians Len for their sponsorship and assistance around those pool parties and events as well. Terrific to get them on board to help us out. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Tim Harrison. Pleasure, Jack. Take care, mate. This year, our Australia Day ambassador is Warrnambool local Duncan Stalker, OAM. He's an educator, leader and community service contributor who has been recognised with innumerable awards. Mr. Stalker has been the president of the Victorian Secondary Principals and the Australian Secondary Principals Association. He serves on the Order of Australia Association, the Warrnambool RSL and the Rotary Club of Warrnambool. He's devoted his life to education. Virtually every part of my career was a challenge and uh, uh, and an enjoyable one. But uh, if I had to say what was the greatest uh, enjoyment, it was uh, seeing the success of the students and what they went on to in recent life. And in fact, the... Uh, now, one of the students I taught uh, mathematics to uh, had his 75th birthday real, uh, recently, so that starts to age me, doesn't it? Mr Stalker will deliver an address on Sunday when he visits Ararat at the Alexandra Oval Community Centre during the official ceremony. 
I can't say that I've um, stayed in or in a rat at any stage, but um, I at one stage used to pass through uh, a rat by a car very, very frequently, and I know a number of people in the district, and uh, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, it, it uh, I look forward to uh, each of the assignments. This next segment is one I'm excited to share with you, and it's called Your Say. And community is something I want to be a major part of this podcast, as I mentioned earlier. And you can comment throughout the broadcast and share your opinion. But this section is where we look at a community's general thoughts on a topic each week. So on a Friday, I will share a question via our socials on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And there you can vote on a topic. And the hope is to get an overview of the community's opinion that I can then share on the show on Monday. So this week's question was, do you support Australia Day being celebrated on January 26th? And 75% of Australians supported Australia Day being celebrated on January 26th, according to a poll of 1,000 Australians, which was commissioned earlier this year by the Institute of Public Affairs. The date has long been a difficult symbol for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have seen it as a day of sorrow and mourning. Now, the results for the local poll are interestingly very similar to the national one. 108 people voted on the poll and 76 people said they do support Australia Day being on January 26th, whilst 24% said they don't. So look out for next week's poll so you can have your say. Lake Bolak student and Wycliffe resident Jasmine Craddock is just 15, but yesterday she flew out of Melbourne waving her family goodbye as she headed off to Taiwan for a 12-month Rotary Student Exchange program. The program provides a unique opportunity for for participants to experience firsthand the many cultures of a different country and a new way of life. During the exchange, Jasmine will learn a lot about herself, the culture of her adopted host families and the diversity of Taiwan. I spoke to her this week before she departed. Getting closer and closer by the day now. I'm getting pretty nervous. Don't really want to leave home at the moment, but... I've got to go now. I've made this kind of commitment and it's happening now. I'm pretty good with like the whole planes things. I've been around Australia and stuff, so um, it's all right. Jasmine will spend her time in the country with a number of host families as well as attending school. I'm going to school over there, so I'm going to like an agricultural kind of school. So that's every week. So I get there and then there's a week of school that I don't think I have to attend to, but then I've got about 10 weeks of holidays. I've been in contact with my first host family. I only have a host mum, but she's really nice. Taiwan's land space is about half the size of Tasmania, whilst its population is the same as Australia. Jasmine admits that this is something that's going to be quite different to her little town of Wycliffe. I'm not very keen about it. Out here I've got so much space. I can do whatever I want without having to be interrupted by anyone or be in people's way. But there, so Taiwan's half the size of Tasmania has the population of Australia. It's so crowded. It's just ridiculous that that's the way it's going to go for the next 12 months. And I'll just have to get used to it. Jasmine said that her family has mixed emotions as the departure day approaches. So live with my mum but she's uh, getting very teary at the moment she doesn't want well she wants me to go but she wants me to stay home I'm a little girl but my brother he's very very excited about it and he doesn't show it but he is and my dad well he's happy for me but yeah and yeah my sister's really excited as well Jasmine will return to Australia in mid-January next year now Amy Harris grew up in Ararat beginning her dancing journey and now she has reached the pinnacle of her career, performing as a principal dancer with the Australian Ballet, alongside her husband, Jared Madden. 
On Sunday, the duo visited town to work with the next generation of dancers at Ararat Dance Centre, owned by Amy's sister, Carly Harris. It's so important, I think, to have a connection with where it all began for me. And I don't think you ever lose that. And I don't think even, you know, when the time comes that I'm going to hang up my shoes, that I'm not going to have a connection with ballet. You're three and a half and you start in a small country town with big dreams. I think it's so important to come back and, um, you know, of course, Carly having a school going to a ninth year now, it's kind of made it easier, I guess, to stay connected. Um, and Joe and I certainly try and do that when we can. Carly Harris said that the opportunity to have Jared and Amy in Ararat is an amazing one for the Dance Centre, attracting dancers from across the state and also interstate. Yeah, it's really good because it's always a bit of a draw card to get people. Um, so it's not just my students, we open it up to whoever. Um, we've got kids from Ballarat, from our old dance school actually, so there's still that connection there for me as well. Um, and then we even, we've even got a girl this year that's travelled from Mount Gambia in South Australia. Both Carly and Amy emphasise the importance of opportunities for young dancers in regional areas, reflecting on their own childhoods. It has, I think, somewhat expanded and now, um, you know, the dance room company have gone into cinemas and, you know, the likes of YouTube and online. Um, it's the good and the bad of social media, of course, that with everything. Uh, but I do think having access at your fingertips um, is certainly... Yeah, I guess a lot more fortunate than when we were kids mm. um, and it was the good old VHS or it was a two and a half hour trip down at an expense. So if you didn't have, have the money or you didn't have the time, um, it made it really hard. So I think, yeah. I think even now, like some country people don't like travelling to Melbourne. Like yeah. there's always workshops offer down there, but if they're not comfortable to drive in Melbourne, it can often be really hard to get them there. So if we can bring it to the country and invite everyone. Um, it's a lot easier for a lot of parents and they're happy to, you know, come to a regional town because they feel more comfortable. Ballet, often in a country town, is not seen as, you know, something, especially when we're in such a sporty town here. Um, so to have someone that's a professional come, I think that helps for me as well. Um, and it's also professional development for myself and for Christy and for teachers from Ballarat. They sit in on Amy's classes if they're not teaching as well. Um, so I think it's just keeping fresh and up to date with things as well so that we're providing country kids with that experience, knowing that they're getting the best training that they can. If you missed out on the opportunity to work with the Australian ballet dancers, don't stress. There are plans in the pipeline for their return in the near future. And lastly, coming up this week in Ararat and Surrounds, the Great Western Show and Shine Street Party celebrates its third year this January 25. Entry is free. The monthly Pomonal Village Market will be held this Sunday, Jan 26th at 9am. It's at the Pomonal Community Hall. And as we heard earlier, Ararat Council's Australia Day ceremony is taking place this Sunday. Official proceedings begin at 10am at the Alexandra Community Centre. Thanks to Sea Glen, pool parties will be held at the Wallora and Lake Bollock pools, including free entry all day, as well as free face painting, a barbecue and water slide. Free pool party entry all day at the Arat Outdoor Pool here as well. Free barbecue between midday and 2pm and live music from the double agents between midday and 3. There will also be a jumping castle, face painting and something sweet gelato. And Arat Musical Comedy Society is holding an information night for its upcoming production of All Shook Up on Tuesday 28th of January 2020 at 730 
at the Ararat 800 Primary School multi-purpose building at the rear of Ararat 800 there. I'm going to have more details on that information night next week, but please do put it in your diary if you are interested. And that wraps up today's show. It will be available on all your favourite podcasting apps following today's broadcast. Feel free to re-listen and share with your friends. Next week, I'm going to be speaking with local Ashby Green, who recently graduated from the Duntroon, the military college in Canberra whilst bringing you all the latest news as well. So tune in next Monday at 5pm. This was Arat's Latest.